Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about us or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. Well, I've got a very special treat on how we're going to do today's final closing for the series. I'm going to have a little bit of help. I want y'all to put your hands together and make Lynn Garrison welcome to the platform. I love Lynn Garrison and I appreciate her shepherding spirit. And uh, you want to use yours or mine? It don't matter. I think they're the same. We'll use. Okay, we'll use mine. Uh, Lynn, Lynn shepherds our women here. She does a wonderful job loving and leading and equipping the women here at our church. And I appreciate her so much and thankful that she's going to help us close out this series today. Our theme verse. If you have your Bible, go ahead and go to the book of Luke. Go ahead and go to the book of Luke. Open it up, pull it up, open it up on your phone. Luke chapter 15. And while you're turning there, let me read our theme verse for the series that we've looked at all four weeks. Psalm chapter number 78 and verse number four. The psalmist said, we will not hide them from their children. Showing, here we go, to the generation to come, the praises of the Lord and his strength, and his wonderful works that he hath done. We're talking about the generation to come. If you miss week three, you can check it out on the podcast, through the website, the Church Center app, Spotify, Apple, and other platforms. We talked about making a, listen to me, you gotta listen. You gotta listen. If you've got teenage, college-age children, if you've got elementary, listen. If you've got a child between 0 and 21, you need to listen to last week. On your lunch break, while you're driving to work, we talked about making a lasting impression. Check that out. It's okay if they're out of order and you hear today and then you hear last week, this week. It's okay. What I want to do is I want to look at Luke chapter 15. And then Lynn and I are going to work through this text together and allow God to just kind of speak through us. And we're going to play tennis. We're going to hit the ball back and forth a little bit. Look at Luke 15. If you're there with me, say amen. Amen. Verse number 11. Verse number 11. The Bible says a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Right there, he was requesting from his dad, I want my inheritance. Everything that's coming to me, I want it. Now, that's not something you are typically or customarily receiving until your father passes away. So in a sense, one scholar said this. It was almost like him telling his dad, I wish you were dead so I could have my stuff. Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Watch this. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. Every nickel and dime, every dollar, every bond, every CD, everything. And he took his journey into a far country. And there, everybody say there. And there wasted his substance 
with riotous living. Look up here. This boy took his money. He goes out in the foreign country. Now, if you read the rest of the passage, I'll paraphrase it for you. If you read the rest of the passage, he ends up, listen, it doesn't take him long. He blows through everything daddy gave him. And he ends up looking for work, finds a farmer, ends up working with the pigs, which is so taboo for a Jewish audience to hear because pigs are at the lowest rung of the ladder of the animal kingdom. That's an unclean animal according to the Levitical law. And this boy's having to work with pigs. It gets so bad while he's living with this guy, working for this guy, that he is at a point of starvation where he considers eating the pig's corn husk. He's that hungry. And in that moment, the Bible says that something in him clicked, something in him snapped, and he came to himself and he said, how many people are working back for my daddy that he's hired and they're not hungry at all? They've got plenty to eat. And here I am, his own son, and I'm at the point of starvation about to partake of what the pig is eating for dinner. And so he thinks it out. and He begins playing it out in his head. I will get up, I'll go back to my daddy, and I'll tell him that I've messed up. I'll own it. And I'll just go back and maybe my dad will make me one of the hired servants. Maybe he'll just let me be a, a hired farmhand. And the Bible says as he's on his way back home that the daddy sees him as he approaches the home, as he approaches the property, and the father runs out to meet him. And you know, I don't know about you, but if I have done something really, really stupid and I see my dad running at me, I'm tempted to turn around and run the other direction. But that's not what happens. See, the father, the father sees the, the, the son and he runs to him. The Bible says he falls on him. He embraces him. He's kissing him. He's rejoicing. He says, get the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet. This is my son who was lost and is found. He was dead. We thought he was as good as dead, but he is alive. And the daddy threw a huge party on the farm. We don't know nothing around here about a farm party like they threw in Luke 15. We want to preach today on this thought, winning the heart of a rebel. Winning the heart of a rebel. For several years, thank you, Pastor JJ, there has been a statistic in circulation that says three out of four teenagers leaves church when they turn 18 or when they graduate high school. I want, you to let, I want you to let that sink in. You've heard me say that for several years. Some of you have never heard that before. The statistic in the survey, the poll data is as follows. Three out of four. That is 75%. 75% of teenagers will leave the church. They will become unplugged from serving and honoring the Lord in the church the moment they graduate high school. Now let me say this. This idea of teenagers coming unplugged and leaving church is just the tip of the iceberg of what many people may categorize as rebellion. I think that's a heavy word to attribute to that, but I will say this. The idea of a person leaving the church behind is the initial phases of rebellion. It does not feel like rebellion at first. You're simply, hey, all you're doing is you're going your own way. All you're doing is you're just finding yourself. All you're doing is you're starting to make your own decisions. All you're doing is becoming an adult and doing your own thing. But the reality is it's a slow fade. How do you boil a frog? You don't throw him into hot water. You put him in cold water and you slowly turn it up over time. And he doesn't even notice the changes in the temperature until he's boiled and he's dead and he's just floating in hot water. It's exactly what the devil does with you and I. 
We begin to unplug. We begin to drift. And before you know it, we've faded into full-blown rebellion. Now, if you're in this room and you've lived for Jesus any length of time, you are not a stranger to rebellion. Don't look at me so religious up in this place. We are not strangers to rebellion. I've, I've always said it, and, and maybe it's accurate. I don't have a verse for it, but maybe it's accurate. I feel like every Christian who seriously walks with God will have a season of their life where they just get stupid. You're like, I haven't had a season like that. It cometh. And you dumbeth. It cometh. Because you dumbeth. I'm telling you, I am telling you sure as the world, it is coming. And the reality is this. We all have a little bit of rebel in us. We've all had a little bit of rebel streak that we've manifested at times. And, and there are so many parents in the room that could testify they know what it's like to raise a rebel. Your kid had a season of it, or seasons, plural of it, and, and we, we, we really need to do our best this morning to reach our arms and hands around this idea of what rebellion is and what rebellion isn't. Lynn, help us get a better idea of what this looks like. So from one rebel to many others this morning, I just want to remind you that rebellion doesn't look the same for everybody. My rebellion may look different from yours. Your children's rebellion may be, look different from their friend's rebellion. But be not fooled. It is out there. It is in us. It is. And it is in our children. And we have to wrap our minds around that so that we can be ready to address that when it comes. If you haven't already experienced it, like Pastor Derek said, you better buckle up, buttercup, because it's coming. It's after you, it's after your children. So when we thought about the way rebellion looks for everybody and in different ways for everybody, the Lord just reminded us that we can have rebellion toward a lot of things. We can have rebellion towards authority. Sometimes we rebel in the workplace. We don't like our, our um, authority figures in the workplace. They said something dumb. They're not as smart as we are. We're overlooked. We're, we're just not as good as they are. We didn't get the position we wanted. So we start yakking and talking about everybody. That's pure rebellion at its finest. Right. What about in our belief system? Sometimes we just say, I'm not believing that. I'm not receiving that. Right. When God's word is plain about everything that we need to know and what he has for us, sometimes it's in the truth. We don't want to hear the truth because it hurts and it makes us look inside at us. So we can rebel against the truth. We can rebel in values and we can rebel at rules. But this is one thing I know. If we have rebellion down here, then we're going to have rebellion here. And we got to learn how to surrender down here so that we can ultimately surrender up there. Because God is for us. He's never against us. Rebellion is rooted in a sinful and satanic nature. Don't you be fooled for a second to think this little bit of sin is okay over here. This little bit of rebellion is over here. We have deep roots. We are born in the flesh and we walk in the flesh more often than we walk in the righteousness of God. We've got to see it for what it is. It's not a new thing just in our generation today. It started in the garden with Adam and Eve. That was rebellion in its truest form, right at the beginning of God's Word. 
If it can happen to Adam and Eve, it can and will happen to you and me. It can and will happen to our children. We have to be prepared for what's ahead of us. We have to try to prepare our children for what's ahead of them. Rebellion can reveal itself in any of our kids at any time. Any of our kids. I've had it happen in my own life. Rebellion is the resistance to and the rejection of what God wants. Let that sink in for a minute. It's the resistance to and the rejection of what God wants. And we just do it blatantly with no regard to him and what he's done for us. Rebels run from God. We don't run to him. I always think about Jonah, the story of Jonah. And then I think about myself because there's been a time that I ran many times in my life. I can remember my mama saying, girl, you're going to pay for that raisin one day. At 16, I thought she didn't know a thing about what she was saying. Because at 16, we know everything, right? (laughs) We know it all. We know it all. Rebellion can happen to any of us directly or indirectly. It's there. We have to be aware of it. We have to know what it looks like. It's in you and it is in our children. Rebellion can reveal itself in any of our kids at any time. And I want to remind you today, if you're one of those people that says, I ain't never, I won't never, it won't never happen to mine. You better shut your mouth and hit your knees because it's coming. (laughs) It's coming. Listen, (laughs) the enemy is no respecter of persons. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And when he can't get you, he'll get your children. You got to know how to protect them. So here's some truth about raising a a rebel. It can break our hearts. It can break our hearts. If you've raised children and you have grown children, then your heart has been broken. If you have little children and you haven't experienced that yet, it's coming. Because we can't control them forever. But what we can do is instill in them the Word of God and what they need so that when those crises come, and they will, they're more prepared than they would have been without us instilling in them. And here's some, here's some other truths. Um, rebellion creates blame. It's so easy to blame ourselves. Did I do enough? I should have done it differently. Have you done that? Because I have as a mother. And then other times, we blame somebody else. We'll blame our children. It was their fault. I didn't teach them that. I taught them better than that. Or maybe it's their friend's fault, because my kids would never do that, right? It's got to be somebody else's fault, because I raised my kids better than that. I've been there. My mama was there. (laughs) Hurt. It can create hurt. Watching them go in the wrong direction, ignore the counsel that you give them or otherwise counsel of family and friends, it's devastating. It's devastating to watch them just ignore everything. And then the audacity of them to even defy your prayers. (laughs) You've prayed for them. You've prayed for them to get their hearts right. You've prayed for them to be able to wrap their minds around it. You've prayed for them to get out of that. How dare them? And then we have fear. When all of that doesn't look like we think it ought to look, we get scared. And then we wonder if they'll ever return to what's right. We start letting the enemy 
whisper in our ear. If he can get you to doubt God's goodness for one second, he can have you walking in all the fear that he can muster in your mind. This is what we need to remember. Rebellion can reveal itself anytime, anyway, to anybody. And this is what I want you to remember today. That as, as you walk with your children and you see them doing things that you never thought they would do, you're probably going to wonder, are they lost or are they saved? Because sometimes our kids don't look saved. Sometimes we make choices and decisions and we don't look saved. And our kids, our kids are the same. They are. Mm. So this begs the question so many of us have asked, or one day will ask, will I ever win them back? So the reality is you can win a rebel, and you can win over their heart, and we're not going to really pull this from Oprah. It's not a Dr. Phil thing. It's a Bible thing. What we're going to do is we're going to take Luke 15, and we're going to unpack a couple applications that you can put into your own life. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, and I want you to start with me in verse number 12 and 13. Check it out. It's on the screen for your reading. It's in your Bible. Verse 12. The younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Okay, now... That sounds contrary to the step that would seem like the right step to take. Okay, you, you, you want this? Here it is. Then it says that the son, just a few days later, gathered everything his dad gave him, and he left. When he left, he went all the way into another area, another region of foreign country, and blew through everything that the Father gave him. I want you to write this down. Here's the first application. Release them. The first thing you got to do with a rebel is you got to release them. If you notice by the story, the daddy did not try to stop the son. Well, why not? Well, first of all, it's, it's apparent from the implication in the passage that the son is obviously old enough to receive his inheritance. And he asked for it. The father gives it to him. And watch this. When the father gives him what he wants, it becomes apparent he might be old enough, but he's not mature enough. You, listen to me. You can be old enough and not mature enough. That's the danger with equating your maturity with a number. Because I know people that are in their 30s. Oh, let me just stop right there. Let me, let me stop right there. I want freedom. That's what the boy, I want freedom. I want my stuff so I can be free. Isn't it funny? We get what we want, but then we don't want what we got. Come on, somebody. Somebody talk to me. Anybody in this room ever wanted something so bad you finally got it and got to look at it and go, man, there's a, there's a turd in this sandwich. This ain't what I thought it was. This ain't what I thought it was. This is not what I signed up for. Everybody all right? I know you skipped breakfast. I'm trying to bless you this morning. What's this? What's this? The sad truth is it may take them finding reality out for themselves. Because get this, get this. Your own example is usually not teacher enough. They want their own experience. I hear what you're saying. 
I understand. You done told me this story a million times. Every time you tell me this story, it's harder and harder, and it's worser and worser. And every time you tell me this story, it was more difficult, and you, you somehow rebounded through it. Now you're here to tell me. Like you done come from the future trying to tell me what I don't need to do or what I do need to do. Listen to me. More than likely, when a rebel spirit hits one of our kids, they're going to want to find out for themselves. So let me, t- let me help you with something. Let go. Release. There is going to come a point where you're going to have to practice what the father did. Look, you can push, you can pull, you can preach, but the truth is they're probably going to want to find out for themselves. They're going to want to taste the fruit of the foreign country to find out if you've been fibbing or fabricating the whole time. And they're also looking at you thinking, you know what? I might be able to navigate that better than you did. Hey, your kid might just think you're dumb. Don't go home, roll up your sleeves and try to fight them. But I'm just going to tell you something. They might think you're dumb. And they might think, yeah, but you didn't have access to the technology and you don't have access to the resources. And I done looked at how you did it and I know how to walk through that without getting burned. I can go play in that fire and I will never get charred. Here's something. The, The father obviously wasn't a fool, but watch this. He didn't raise a fool either. Because it's apparent from the rest of the story that the daddy instilled some things in his son that he knew would later come to the surface. If it's real, it'll come out in you. Hear me out now. If it's real, if it's really there, it'll come out. And here it is. Here it is. When it finally comes out, you'll come back. That's hard right there. That's hard when you have to release a rebel because when you release a rebel, what's this? You're literally trusting God with them. Isn't it funny how much we trust God as long as we can manipulate and we can manage? But the moment they leave, they're gone. They're like deuces. See you later. The heck with you. The heck with this. I'm going to go taste it for myself. That's when you really have to practice what you've been preaching. That's when you have to literally let go and release them to God. You say, I've given my kid to God. Yeah, but you might have to do it literally one day. I got all, my, all four of mine are at the house still. So trusting God is obviously an element of our life, but there's going to come a day where they're going to go, all right, I'm moving into this apartment, or hey, I'm, I'm going to get married. I can't even believe I'm saying that right now. But like, and I'm going to have to go, all right. And what, what am I going to do? Look, what am I going to do if they want to go and do it anyway. I say, I want you to discover how real God is. What if their failure is the gateway to their discovery of who God is? Oh, come on. Somebody needs to talk to me. Wasn't it the gateway of your discovery? We didn't need God when we had the bills paid. We didn't need God when we were in a good relationship. We didn't need God when we had all of our boxes checked and we were happy. But the moment we fell down to rock bottom and we were face down for the count, that is when we discovered, I need God too. And that may be what happens for your kid. You may have to give them the gift of release and let them go. Lynn, take us to verse 20 because there's another application that starts there. Verse 20 says, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. This has always touched my heart because I have four children, four, 
My oldest will be 40 in December. I know y'all can't believe that. I can't believe that. And Casey will be 18 in just about three weeks. Um, so I've been, I've been reveling a long time, a long time. So, but I, I, this, is, this is one of the things that God has shown me as my children have left, sometimes on good circumstances, sometimes not so good. He says we have to remember them. And I want to tell you, if you are a praying power, a praying parent, you have more power than any other person praying over your children. Yes, a mama and a daddy has a power in them that covers their children like no other. Your job is to cover your children. My job is to cover my children. I think about this daddy sitting on the porch in the rocking chair because that's where I do my best praying. And I can see him sitting there remembering his son. We have to remember our children. The position and the response of him tells us a lot about him. I believe that he prayed his heart out for his son. And then just the simple fact that Jesus put in here that he saw him when he was a great way off tells me that daddy was looking for his son. And listen, I want to remind you today, you might not know where your children are emotionally. You may not know where they are spiritually. You may have no idea where they are physically. But God has reminded me time and time again, I see you and I see them. God has not forgotten where your children are. Don't you ever believe for a second that they are lost. As long as there is breath in your lungs and breath in their lungs, there is hope. Hope of your rebel returning home. Listen, remember your rebel. Be honest. Be honest. It's It's hard to forget them. It's hard not to remember them. And listen, if you're remembering your child every day, you better believe they're thinking about their mom or daddy every day. Because we're connected. We have a bond that nothing can sever. We may have harsh words occasionally. We may have some hurt feelings occasionally. But this is what I know about my God. He is a God of restoration and he is a God of reconciliation. And we can cling to that in the hardest, hardest of times. Don't ever lose sight of that. Listen, remember your rebel. Sometimes we think it's easier to deal with the pain when something is out of sight. It's out of mind. But that's not always true with your children. You may, be, it, you may can make that happen with some acquaintances. But when you've got somebody that you have had a direct connection, that knows your heartbeat, that you have nurtured, that you have loved, that you have sunk everything that you have into, they're not going to forget you. And you're not going to forget them. Right. We have to remember them. And remember that the rebellion is just a temporary season. I'm often reminded of this when God reminds me of my own rebellion. It won't last forever, but how you handle it can make all the difference in the world. Listen, there are going to be people who will say, well, if they were mine, this is what I'd do. I'd cut them off. And this, this should be our response. Well, they're not yours. They're mine. And I have the heart of a mother And the heart of the father is in this mother. The heart of the father is in you as a daddy. Don't you ever let somebody else tell you how to raise your children or how to love them back home. Because I am a believer that we can love people back to where they need to be. We can love people to Jesus. I'm living proof of that. Excuse me. Listen, we, we don't have to forget them. We're not supposed to. 
We don't have to. It's not in our DNA if we have the heart of God in us and if we've nurtured and loved our children there's no way we can forget them. Don't let the enemy take hold of that. And you, want, you might say, Miss Lynn, how do we do that? Well, we remember them by praying for them. Right. Those prayers will not fall on deaf ears. They won't fall on deaf ears with God. And listen, there's going to be times you don't know what to pray because you're so brokenhearted over that child walking out the door and you've had no contact. But you just tell God, God, you see them. You know them. And Lord, I can't wait till they walk back through this door. Lord, I'm getting their bed ready. You pray those prayers as if it's already done because this is the promise of God. Train up a child in the way they shall go and they will not depart from it when they are old. You remember that about your children. You remember the good things you put in them. And then you say, well, what else can we do, Miss Lynn? Well, you can remember them by contacting them. Lay your pride down because we are full of it. And this is the thing. If we don't love our children, if we're not there with open arms and open doors and open hearts, the world will be. They already are. The rebellion is living proof of that. We got to remember that we're the safe place. We need to be a safe place. It's okay. You don't have to condone the sin, but we have to love the sinner. Amen. And we all have that. And we can remember them by waiting for them. It's okay for you to wait expectantly. I tell women this all the time. We can't pray for God's best and expect His worst. We got to pray believing that our children will return. Don't write them off. Don't you write them off. Don't you disown them. And don't believe that they are full of the devil. They're not. They might be full of the rebellion of the enemy, but they are not full of him. You start claiming the goodness of God for your children and that they will have a sound mind, that he will remind them of the things that you've instilled in them. Don't make it impossible for them to return because you can. If you have a hardened heart, it makes it so much easier for them to stay away. And I want to encourage you, if you're in a situation where you have a rebel that is in active rebellion, I want to ask you to search your heart. Ask the Lord to search your heart and show you where there's hardness or bitterness toward your children in that. And then the third way that we can do for our rebels is receive them. Verse 23-24 says, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he didn't just walk, y'all. That daddy ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Listen to this. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatty calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this is my son that was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. They throwed a stinking party, y'all. Throw your party for your prodigals when they return. They are worthy. They are worthy. When they leave and they're gone, they will, when the thought hits their mind, I need to go back, listen to this. The first thing they will think about is how you were when they left. They're not going to think about leading up to that point. 
They're going to think about how you were, how you looked, what you said, your tone, your inflection, the energy, the tension, the spirit. When you leave, when they leave and need to come back, the first thing they're going to think about is, can I go back? So when we say you release them, you remember them while they're gone, the last part of winning the heart of a rebel is receiving them when they return. Now, I want, to, I want to show you something quickly. In this passage, it has two main takeaways. There's a theological one and a practical one. So I'm not going to be able to provide this scripture to you and then not give you the theological implication here. The theological takeaway from this is God, Jesus is talking to uh, Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, and he tells them this story along with three others as if to preach to them. God is in the business of receiving sinners that come back to him. That's the theological premise here. God is in the business of receiving rebellious sinners who return in repentance. And by doing this, he's saying, hey, you Pharisees, y'all don't get this. And his church is supposed to be that way. We're supposed to be a church that receives the sinner. But the practical takeaway is obviously as a church, we're supposed to receive those in rebellion, but more so as parents. That's why there's power in this father and son implication here, that as parents, we too can receive back our rebel children. Let me say this. If a person is truly born again, they will return back to God. And if this kind of truth is in your child, it will be extracted and they will come back. They will come back to God. Listen to me. They will come back to you. The tough part is trusting them with the process and trusting God with the process of what it takes to bring that metal back to that magnet. Pastor JJ is going to help me close. I want to encourage you with this. They're going to come back. If the truth is in them, they're going to come back. So what do you do, mama, daddy, what do you do when they come back? Here, here write this down. I'm supposed, write this down, daddy. Mama, if you're taking notes, write this down for daddy. Because I know he ain't writing probably. I'm supposed to act like God would act when they come back. Somebody say Amen. I'm supposed to act like God would act when they come back. Can, can I ask you this real quickly? Let me set the table up with this. How did God act when you came back? Was he not receptive? Was he not willing? Did, was there not an open heart? Were there not open arms? Oh, come on, somebody. I feel a journey song coming on. I'm talking about open arms. Wide open. Willing and ready to receive those that return in repentance. And the Bible teaches and tells us, Pastor Lynn just read it. This boy comes back. He's got his apology scribbled out on his hand. And he's walking back to the house. And he's going over this confession. He's going over taking ownership and being accountable. And he's going over his little repentance statement. And as he gets within visual distance of the house, the daddy comes running off the porch. You know the story. The daddy falls on him, receiving him. Loving him, embracing him, rejoicing over him. And watch this. The boy can't even get his apology fully stated. Which means 
the parent's willingness to receive the child was not contingent on whether or not there was an apology. Yay, man, right there. Listen, listen, what's this? What's this? It's not that the child didn't need to issue an apology. It's that it wasn't necessary in order to be received by his daddy. You're going to need to remember this. You need, listen, some of y'all, like jam in a jar, you need to put this in a place where you can get it later because you're going to need to remember this. You say, well, I, having them back, I don't even need an apology. Listen, it actually is not about you needing to hear an apology. It's actually about them needing to hear themselves say it. Give God time to extract the full repentance out of them. They don't have to do that when they initially come back. Because you know what? You're not trying. This is not about you being right. This is about you being righteous. Because if you want to be right, you can say, no, I don't, I, I, what, what did I tell you? Look at you. God, I can't, I, can't even, I, can't even, I can't even breathe right now. You smell like hog mess. Like I can't. Look at you. Look what you've done. Was it worth it? No, really, was it worth it? I mean, do you have any money left? Do you have any dignity? Are you not ashamed of yourself? None of that. Did you notice there was no judgment, just joy? Receive your rebel with an open heart and open arms that screams nothing but joy. Give it time. They can, they can work that apology out in their own time. God will let that thing marinate and slow cook, and over time, the full disclosure of this is what I need to get off my chest will come. But you ain't got to hear that to let them back in the house. When you let them go, watch this. When you let them go, open the door and shut your mouth. And when they come back home, open the door and shut your mouth. Just smile. Just weep. Just rejoice. And receive your rebel. You might have to live the very sermon we're preaching. You've had to live it. I have had to live it. So I said earlier I have um, four daughters. And eight years ago in June, my mother passed away suddenly. I knew that I was going to preach her funeral. The Lord had already told me that. Um, went and made her funeral arrangements and went and met my youngest daughter. And I share our story today with her permission. I went and met my youngest daughter who had moved into Gainesville in an apartment, had a roommate, and I'd been seeing some things on Facebook that gave me a little concern. I didn't accuse, I simply asked. That day when she got in the car and she mentioned her roommate's name, I said, y'all are just friends, right? And she started crying. And she said, no, mama, it's more than that. And there in that moment, I could not even wrap my mind around what she was telling me. And I said, I can't even think about that right now. Those were the words I said to her. And she said, I don't want you to be disappointed in me. And I said, while I don't condone that, you're my daughter and I love you with all my heart. We went on and did our shopping. I got through my mother's funeral and I was sitting with Jesus, just trying to wrap my mind around everything. And I said, God, how do I love her? How do I love her back to you and back to me? And I'll never forget these words. He said, just like I love you. 
unconditionally. We can't put conditions on our children's what we give them or what we don't give them. We have to love them where they are, no matter what they're going through, if we want to retain that relationship. And in that same conversation that I was having with the Lord, he said this, My love for you, Lynn, is not predicated on the choices and the decisions you make. I love you simply because you're mine. And that's how you love your baby girl back to us. Simply because she's yours. So this is what I did. My door was always open. My arms were always open. And my heart was wide open to receive my girl back home. Was it easy? I spent a lot of hours in prayer for my baby, believing that God would return her to me and return her to him. And I want to tell you that as they would come to the house, let me say this. Don't be afraid to get in the midst of that. As mamas and daddies, get up every day and put your armor on. Homosexuality, drug addiction, none of that thing is going to jump on you. It's just not. We got to learn how to get in the trenches with the people we love. We can't be afraid of getting dirty. And listen, your sin has a stench just like theirs does. Our sin has a stench to it. And this is, this is, this is proof. Sometimes we smell like we've been wallowing in the hog lot. But our daddy receives us back. He receives us. He'll pull you up on that big Abba Daddy lap stinking all. And he'll just waller all over you. It's, it's the goodness of God. Listen, when we would open our doors and we would have a meal, her partner had celiac disease. She couldn't have gluten. And you know what I did? I made sure there were dishes on the table that she could eat so she would know she's a part, that she's welcome. I didn't just love my daughter back. I loved her back. And so I want to tell you, the time that you spend on your knees for your children is never unnoticed or wasted. A little over a year and a half ago, I got to officiate my daughter's wedding when she married the man of her dreams. And you say, Lynn, how did you hang on? How did you hang on? Several different ways. Just God affirming that I was doing what I needed to do and that he seen her. He would give me dreams occasionally that would show me things about her. I've learned if I ever have a dream and I remember it, I need to write it down. God's showing me something or he's telling me something. And then the greatest thing he did for me that just filled my heart with so much hope. I'd lost her dad. We lost my husband, Phil, about 10 years ago to a massive heart attack suddenly. And I was going through our jewelry box. And I said, Lord, what do you want me to do with, Kay- with, with Phil's wedding ring? And just as sure as I'm standing here and you hear my voice, he said, put it up for Kayla when she marries her husband. And I tucked that wedding band away and I kept it. And then the Christmas, um, several years ago, um, let me back up, in July of my birthday, about four years ago, she said, Mama, can I come and me and you and Casey go to Big Daddy's and eat eat dinner for your birthday? And I said, that'd be wonderful. And so Sherry Angel and I were leaving Lambs one night, been to a Bible study, and she called and she said, "Can, um, can I just come and spend the night? when we go out for your birthday and I said you bet you can and then when that baby got home she laid in the bed with me that night and she cried her eyes out and she said I want to come home and I said baby these doors are still open for you my heart is still open for you and my arms are still open for you and we have the best relationship today that we've ever had I just spent 10 days with her in June. She's in England now. She is living her best life. She is thriving. 
and her husband is everything that I prayed for for her. I say I should have been a little more specific and prayed he lived here in the U.S., but he's all the way in England, and it makes for a great vacation spot, and I'm so grateful for FaceTime. Won't God do it? Won't he do it? Yes, he will. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted on Tuesdays.